Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Well, Oregon State pulled it off. Steven, can we cue up that great Mike Parker call again? I want to hear it one more time. Mike Parker on the call, voice of Beaver Nation, as Oregon State at Fresno State. Look, I was in that stadium. It was a rough crowd. It was a hostile environment. That's a tough place to play. And I got to give Jonathan Smith some credit for having the guts, having the guts to call his field goal unit back to the sideline and go you know what we didn't come all this way to go to overtime here's the call Coletto awaiting the shotgun snap the Beavers try to win it Coletto runs to the right Coletto in touchdown Beavers and the Beavers defeat Fresno State Jack Coletto that hammer scores the Beavers win it for the first time ever in this stadium the Beavers win it Mike Parker voice of Oregon State, was about three booths down from me. The main press box inside Bulldog Stadium, right in the center of the field. Uh, Right to my right was the athletic director's box with Scott Barnes and his family enjoying the game. And then beyond that was the coaching box. So I could see Oregon State's assistant coaches right before the ball was snapped on that final play. And I was watching the coaches when Jonathan Smith sent the field goal unit out. And... Then Jeff Tredford called the timeout, and Jonathan Smith will tell you, and he'll come on the show later this week, I'll ask him specifically, but after the game he said he just changed his mind. Was there some gamesmanship going on there? I think even Jeff Tedford appreciated it, but so did Jack Coletto, who, by the way, said that the fourth down call, it it does more than just win Oregon State the game. Listen to Jack Coletto as he talks about Jonathan Smith. I mean... He believes in us, and I, you know, we we uh, we had the install in and the plays in to be able to score and do that stuff. So I mean, kudos to the the, uh, the install and the coaches to get that dialed up and have that ready. And it's it's perfectly flawless. There they were on the two yard line, three seconds left. Well, first they were kicking it, so I was like, okay, yeah, I think we got them in overtime. And then they called timeout and said offense back up, and I said, okay, here we go. And then they called the same play that I scored on back back in the first quarter. And so then Fresno calls timeout. And I'm like, I, I know they're going to try and align and adjust to it. So we, we get in the, side, the sideline like, oh, should we run it again? I was like, no, let's switch it up. Because they were misaligned before on one of the plays we ended up running. And so we ended up running that play again. It was they misaligned again. Oregon State came up big. Jack Coletto talking. The hand, the jackhammer. Do you think you're always in? As soon as I saw him line up, I was like, okay, this is... Yeah, it was evident, and I watched the Oregon State assistant coaches. Again, they were to my right by two boxes. There was just glass separating us. I could see six assistant coaches with headsets on, pencils during the game. I occasionally would glance over. They're all seated 
But when Jonathan Smith called the offense back out onto the field, the Oregon State assistant coaches all stood up. Some of them took the headsets off. They all put their pencils down. They were all leaning forward. I wrote about it at johnconzano.com. It looked like a bunch of guys on a Vegas weekend around the craps table, uh, you know, yelling for, you know, a 7 or 11. And uh, it was a roll of the dice that came up big. You heard Mike Parker on the call. Good win by Oregon State. They are 2-0. and Oregon got a W over the weekend. Yes, it was Eastern Washington. But I'm not in the crowd that's like, hey, they shouldn't celebrate putting 70 on a Big Sky opponent. Nonsense. A Big Sky opponent last year beat Washington. We have seen Big Sky opponents win games in the state of Oregon before. Sacramento State won a game in the state. Portland State uh, damn near won a game against Oregon State a few years ago. Missed some extra points. Like, it always gets dicey. Eastern Washington has won uh, in in Pac-12 games played in our state. So it's always dicey. And by the way, it's Dan Lanning's first victory as a head coach. I hope he went home. I hope he grabbed his three kids and threw them in a dog pile in the middle of the living room and dogpiled them and celebrated career head coaching win number one for Dan Lanning. Like, celebrate your wins. Celebrate your moments. Uh, I'm going to talk about this more later in the show, but I really feel like we all should be celebrating life's little victories. And was it a little victory by Oregon? Yeah, it probably was. It wasn't a big win. It wasn't like beating Ohio State last year. It's not like winning a Civil War game. It's not like going to a bowl game. But beating Eastern Washington, you take it. If you're Dan Lanning, you put 70 on them. You look like an opponent. Uh, you did what you should to an inferior opponent, and you go on to week three of the season. It's BYU this week for Oregon at Autzen Stadium. And for Oregon State, it's an opportunity to play a game in Portland. They will be traveling to what is Providence Park here today. It used to be, we called it Multnomah Park, we called it Civic Stadium, you called it PG&E Park, you called it Jeldwin. It's now Providence Park. It's been the site of several college football games over the years, uh, notably, last notably, uh, 1996 when Oregon State hosted UCLA in a uh, big-time loss at Providence, what is now Providence Park. But I got to thinking about this today. This might be the last time that we get to see a major college football game uh, in downtown Portland. Like, literally, you, you know, you have Providence Park, which is all but shut out Portland State. We should, we'll talk more about that later, too. You have, uh, you know, the ability for Oregon State to come play this game. But if I'm Oregon State, I don't want to come back here on a regular basis because I, I'm renovating my stadium, and I need to, uh, you know, make the upgrades of the stadium make sense and I can get more people into research stadium than I can Providence Park and I don't think Oregon's going to play a regular season game there not and give up uh, all those seats that they can sell at Autzen Stadium so I'm looking at this and thinking like gosh like this might be the last time that downtown Portland hosts a major college football game certainly a Pac-12 game so if you are in the Portland area this is a great opportunity this weekend this Saturday night to go and see Montana State play against Oregon State at Providence Park in what could be a historic game. And I'm curious about the crowd. I'm curious about how the teams are going to react. I'm curious about what it's going to look like on TV. And I'm also curious whether or not Portland State is ticked off about the uh, ability for Montana State to play a game in what used to be their home stadium. And I'm wondering if this is going to open the door maybe for Portland State to host some games at Providence Park. We'll talk about that later this week as well. But a big college football weekend, a lot going on. Oregon got a win. Bo Nix looked better. Oregon State got a win and a tough place to play. 
Uh, and I think about the you know the difference between Jack Colito getting in the end zone on that last play and not getting into the end zone on the last play is a huge shift. It's a shift of mentality. It's a shift of mindset. I was a little disappointed to see Oregon State not get more votes in the top 25. I think beating Boise State and Fresno State should have been enough. I think there's definitely some East Coast bias going on there. Uh, but I am well aware that by the time Jack Coletto got into the end zone, it was 11.13 p.m. Uh, I didn't finish writing my column until after 1 o'clock. And when I was leaving what, uh, what is Bulldog Stadium in Fresno, it was after 1 a.m. And I was thinking to myself, how many people on the East Coast even saw this game? And I think that's a major problem for the Pac-12 teams. As much as we want to call the Pacific time zone a, a benefit, uh, when it comes to this negotiation that they have right now with ESPN and for their media rights, it is definitely a detriment in the eyes of the 63 voters in the AP Top 25 college football poll. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not nitpicking and criticizing the voters. It's a thankless job. I do not envy it. But I reached out this morning to the four voters in the Eastern time zone that voted for Oregon State and found that, uh, you know, the feedback I got was those four voters were really paying attention to the late games. But these games ended after 2 a.m. Eastern time. And the games I'm talking about in particular are the Oregon State and the BYU game that both ended late. I thought both of them suffered a little bit with voters. But only four voters put Oregon State in the top 25, four voters in the Eastern time zone. And I'm wondering how many of the others were just asleep it's too late. Maybe the ballots uh, you know, are, are getting turned in before the late games come on. So I'll be curious. What we're going to do at 3.30 on today's show is we're going to go into the Eastern time zone. We're going to go into the Eastern time zone and talk with a voter in the AP poll. We'll be talking with Zach Klein, who covers Georgia football, ironically or incidentally, for WSB-TV in Atlanta, the ABC affiliate there. He's going to be joining us. He's one of the four voters that put Oregon State on his ballot. He had the Beavers at 25. But I want to talk to Zach Klein about the process of voting. What is he looking for? What do other voters look at? Does he talk to other voters before casting his ballot? Does he, uh, you know, does he have a process? Is he watching the late games, or does he just pay attention to the scores? I think all of this is important as we sort of try to get an idea of what happens with the top 25 poll. And I got a lot of people who say, it doesn't matter. I'll ask Jake Dickert, the Washington State coach, what he thinks coming up because they had a huge win uh, in Big Ten country that happened during the day. Like everybody saw Washington State beat Wisconsin. Happened earlier on Saturday. Washington State still didn't get votes in the top 25 poll. I'll ask Dickert about it. I want your take as well. We'll talk all about it. But I want your reaction to the weekend. What was the biggest thing that happened? What did you learn? What did you think? Does Oregon State belong in the top 25? How about Oregon? After a win over Eastern Washington, the Ducks slipped into the top 25, but I still am worried about their game coming up this weekend against BYU. I think it's a tremendous test for the University of Oregon. Your phone calls coming up, 503-417-7575. Tell me what you learned and what you think about what happened over the weekend. Big guests coming up later this hour. Also, Jake Dickert on the show at 4 o'clock. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
USC beat Stanford. Score looked impressive. Steven, what'd you think of USC? Um, you know, impressed, I guess, a little bit. That offense is legit, right? That offense is awesome. Caleb Williams looks great. But they did cause two turnovers inside the five in the first half. And that does worry me if you're a USC fan. Like, I feel like this defense is gettable and USC is still gettable. They cause these turnovers. How how is that gonna be, you know, relatable to a really good team when you play Utah? When you play, you know, if you're if the you know, if you make the Pac twelve title game playing against Oregon or Utah, something like that, like can you really count on these turnovers all the time to get you, you know, save points on the board? I don't know. I so impressed, yes. I think I they're a little better than I thought they would be, but still I think they're getting a little lucky. They're a little more physical than I thought they would be. Uh, offensive line looked okay. Defensive line, um, you know, uh, Stanford broadcaster John Platts, who's a friend of the show, I asked him what he thought. He he liked their DBs, uh, or USC's DBs, thought they were very physical. Um, it's interesting. They're not afraid to get a penalty on defense. Like, they fly around a little bit, and I wonder how much practicing uh, all, all week long against that offensive Lincoln Riley's makes the defensive backs better. I'm a little concerned for Oregon State's receivers. Again, we're getting a week ahead here. Uh, but USC visits Corvallis on the 24th of September, two Saturdays from now. And I'm a little concerned about the athleticism and size of Oregon State's receivers against the defensive backs of USC. I don't know if Oregon State's receivers are going to be able to get separation. They, they, they struggled in the Fresno State game. And I think USC is going to be a little bit better in the defensive secondary. I agree with you. Uh, so the question to me would be, can Oregon State run the ball on that front seven? Deshaun Fenwick, nice game against Fresno, 102 yards rushing. Uh, Martinez looks really well, really good as well in the backfield. Luke Musgrave is a beast also. He's not playing against Portland State, but you know if he's 100% healthy against that USC, that should help a little bit. Can Oregon State run the football like they did a season ago against oh USC? Yeah, if they can run like that, I, they, they have a chance to win. Uh, that game will be on the Pac-12 networks. It's a 6.30 kickoff in Corvallis. A lot of people upset about that. Could be two undefeated teams playing. For people who want to know why that is, you have uh, some rules. Uh, this is how the games are assigned. The Pac-12 network, USC's got to appear three times on the Pac-12 network during the season. So what is happening is Fox and ABC are saying, we'll take USC, but we want them later in the year, in October and November, when they are uh, fighting for a college football playoff position. Uh, I could see the Utah and USC game being a prime uh, ABC or ESPN uh, game later in the year. Uh, I, so keep an eye on that. But I, I get what's happening here. People are upset about it. It's going to be on the Pac-12 network. could be a huge game. And the Pac-12 likes it because it gets to put a big game on the Pac-12 network, and it normally doesn't get big games on the Pac-12 network. ABC and Fox and ESPN take all the big games. So um, it's not a win-win for Beavers fans who can't get the Pac-12 network. But that's why it is happening. Uh, I want to uh, get takeaways from the weekend. Biggest thing you learned over the weekend, Sean, Stephen, what did you get in college football over the weekend? Yeah, speaking about USC, man, I think I was a little bit more impressed than uh, than Stephen appears to be. I, I actually, you know, took the points on Stanford and just, you know, rooting for Stanford. It felt like USC was just doing whatever they wanted downfield. Caleb Williams threw for 341 yards and four touchdowns. Jordan Addison caught uh, for 172 yards, two touchdowns. Travis Dye over 100 yards. I was super impressed uh, with USC. And then uh, another one of my big takeaways, non-Pac-12, I mean, it looks like Bama looks pretty beatable. Uh, at least 
least early in the season. You know, Texas, you know, to my surprise, I thought Texas was going to kind of be like Oregon and, you know, just get pushed over by Bama. But Bama looked pretty beatable. They looked, uh, you know, pretty... uh, they they looked like a team that can be beaten. They have a really tough schedule, so I think that's a that's a good wrinkle for college football this season. My takeaway was the Washington State defense looked really good. Jake Dickert, you know, a defensive minded guy. You're going to talk to him later on in the show. Is this Washington State defense real, or is it more Wisconsin just isn't as good as maybe we thought they were? Be they thought they would be going into the game. Now Cam Ward still isn't playing great. The offense still isn't clicking yet for the Cougs. But that defense is carrying them two and zero right now. They got a few votes. Um, to get that win in Wisconsin, I think, is huge just for the momentum of that program. Can they keep it going? That that was the big takeaway for me. Good teams win ugly. They don't just win pretty. Sometimes good teams win ugly. Alabama won ugly against Texas. Like I actually think Texas, if they play a rematch, Texas has a good shot to win that game. I thought Texas' defense was fantastic, and Alabama did not look disciplined, uh, looked really sloppy. But, you know, that's a good program, and good teams find ways to win. And I thought Washington State did that at Wisconsin. Like, they didn't have their best offensive game. And, you know, Cam Ward didn't make plays early, but, he you know, he made a couple down the stretch enough to, to get the W. And But it was the defense, you're right, completely disruptive, well, made Wisconsin look ordinary. And maybe Wisconsin is a little ordinary. That You know, they didn't have that Melvin Gordon, bell cow running back that we're used to seeing at Wisconsin. But Washington State's front seven was really disruptive and caused some problems there. And it made me believe a little bit, and I'll ask Jake Dickert about it coming up at 4 o'clock, maybe believe in the Cougars a little bit more because I had sort of given up on them a little bit after seeing them struggle with Idaho. But, you know, week two, as we know, teams take big leaps forward. Week three, they take another leap forward. So we're looking for progression. I think right now if you're an Oregon fan, you probably figured you'd be one and one Entering the BYU game, it's your make-or-break game. Um, I think, uh, you know, Bo Nix looked better. You know, obviously he had the touchdown passes, five touchdown passes, bunch of points in the game. There were a few throws that Nix made that I don't think he gets away with against BYU. Uh, uh, keep an eye on that. I mean, there was a couple of throws where you're like, you know, hey, in, against a Pac-12 team or a better team, you know, maybe it's a pick six, but he sneaks it in there. Um I, I, but I like seeing it. I think it was a good confidence-building game. Got Ty Thompson into the game, which everybody wanted to see. And I think it was just a win-win, you know, with Oregon and Oregon State over the weekend. And, and the other thing I came away with was, you know, the Arizona schools let me down. Like, other than the Arizona schools, I thought the Pac-12 had a pretty good weekend. Like, you know, it, but Arizona State just faded in the end, and Arizona faded in the end against Mississippi State, and... I just thought one of those schools could at least play close, if not both. I thought maybe we might get a surprise from Arizona State, you know, but they just didn't have it. So I was disappointed with the Arizona schools. Everything else kind of went as expected, and then Oregon State, I thought, punctuated the night. And, look, these are the kinds of games the Pac-12 was losing a year ago. So I think if you are a college football fan, you take a look at what happened with, you know, Oregon State winning and going to 2-0 and and Washington State winning at Wisconsin and, you know, uh, Washington looks better, and if we're in the Pacific Northwest, so I'm going to say this, but, you know, I, I on Saturday night after the Oregon State-Fresno State game, I was going, where's the strength of this conference right now? Maybe it's Utah, maybe it's USC, but the core strength of the conference, like the teams that I think are right now in positions like two through seven, it's, it's Oregon, it's Oregon State, it's Washington, it's Washington State. I think that there's a core group of teams in the Pacific Northwest that are all going to contend. So I'm not going to be surprised if we get a team from the Pacific Northwest playing in Vegas at the end of the year. I think that's a takeaway.
Yeah, and you know, couple couple big non-conference matchups this week as well for the Pac-12. Fresno State's going down to USC. Michigan State going to Washington. Uh, you know, so it's going to be another another week for the Pac-12 of can you prove it against pretty solid teams in other conferences. So I think you're right though with the Northwest thing. I think the Northwest should you know it looks like they maybe get a representative from one of these four teams. And you heard Bruce Barham talk about Washington, how much he loves them. Will be a big game with them against Michigan State. Uh, next week, see if they can get that and get that thing rolling. To be three and zero in the non-conference for the Huskies, I don't know that they imagined they would be that, but they're here. They are, and they could be looking for a big year too. Yeah, if, was, I, if yeah. I had to bet my life on it, I'd still pick Utah, USC. I feel like those have been the two best teams so far. But Oregon certainly looked. You know, I thought Oregon kind of played a perfect game on Saturday against the Eagles. And you're right, all four you know Pacific Northwest teams look really good. I, I think you know we got a shot. It's a long journey. Got a shot to get a team from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, to Vegas at the end of the year. Uh, all right, coming up, Zach Klein. He's an AP voter. He votes in the top 25 poll. He's also the sports director at WSB-TV, the ABC affiliate in Athens, Georgia. I'm going to ask him about a couple of few things, but among them, the process of the AP top 25 poll, the direction they get, the instructions they get, when do you have to have your vote in? Are the East Coast voters even paying attention to the Pacific time zone? Uh, he voted for Oregon State. He's among the four in the Eastern Pacific Time, or the, excuse me, the Eastern Time Zone that voted for Oregon State, but many did not. I'll ask Zach Klein about that. Plus, I want to check in with him on the Georgia front. We're we're like two weekends away now from from the Oregon Georgia game. Got some more distance. What happened in Atlanta? Zach Klein coming up. AP voter. He is the sports director at WSB TV in Atlanta. He was in Athens, Georgia this morning at Georgia practice. Zach Klein will be joining us next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. All right, we, we, you know, every year we sort of develop, uh, you know, a relationship with a certain media market. And what I mean by that is, you know, like, for example, we've got Justin Herbert playing for the Chargers. And so, you know, sometimes we'll bring on the beat reporter who covers the Chargers because there's a lot of Duck fans who care about that. Uh, our next guest, Zach Klein, works as the sports director at WSB-TV in Atlanta. It's the ABC affiliate. Now, he can talk about a whole bunch of things. Among them, he can talk about the Atlanta Falcons, Marcus Mariota getting his first regular season game with the Atlanta Falcons over the weekend. 27-26 loss to the New Orleans Saints. We're going to talk to him about that. He can also talk about Georgia football. Georgia blasted Oregon in the opening week of the college football season. Zach Klein was at Georgia Media Availability today. I'll ask him you know, about Kirby Smart and Georgia a week later. How is Georgia feeling about that game against Oregon? But he can also talk about the AP Top 25 poll. He's a voter. And he is one of four voters in the Eastern Time Zone who voted for Oregon State this week. Zach Klein joining us now. How are you, man? Uh, Corvallis loves you. The, the Oregon State fans love you because you put them on their ballot. Well, it's your, it's your world, brother. I'm just living in it, man. So, listen, <laughs> I appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm a big fan. You guys crush it out there on the West. So, uh, happy to represent the East Coast and show the Ducks some love, man. They deserve it. But to your point, I think Georgia's going to be doing this to almost every team they face this year. So, I mean, to drop Oregon completely out of the polls based on a week one game, it just wasn't going to happen. Let me ask you, you know, as 
uh, how the poll voting works. Give us an idea because most of our listeners have never had this. You know, when do you have to have your ballot in? How do you sort of formulate what you do? Uh, so I, I, I am honored to do both the Associated Press Top 25 voting for college football and college hoops. And I always tell buddy, everybody, you know, they think just because we're the official TV station of the Georgia Bulldogs that I vote for Georgia every week. I went to Kansas. I'm a Jayhawk, right? So I always kid people that, you know, I vote KU number one in football, and everybody kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we did win last week against West Virginia, so maybe I'll crack the poll next week. But as for it goes for voting, you know, throughout the year, uh, listen, man, I mean, the, the preseason polls are, are, are a joke. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. If you had it uh, my way, bro, I'd I have them pick it up like week five, week six of the regular season and then see where everybody stands. Uh, you get a really good idea of what uh, the teams are, are, are panning out to be. Uh, but our vote's got to be in by 11 a.m. Eastern time on Sunday, okay. where the vote comes out at 2 o'clock Eastern on Sunday. So what I do is, you know, I take my ballot from the week before, I insert it, and I look at who won for the week, who lost for the week, who was playing on the road, who knocked off uh, top 25 competition, had head competition. Can I watch every single game in the top 25 and cover Georgia and the Falcons and the Braves and everybody else? No. So I try to do a little bit of a deep dive in where these teams are ranked and what they did the week before, common opponents, and kind of give it my best guess. Is it perfect? No. But I try to do my homework and give it an honest assessment because I know so many fan bases, my friend, take this stuff very seriously, so I try to you know, give them a best effort. You had Oregon at 21 on your ballot. You had Oregon State at 25. Not many people had Oregon State. Um, I I like the pick. I think there's probably some voters on the East Coast who were sleeping when this game happened. Uh, I talked to Brett McMurphy this morning. He put Oregon State. He said he stayed up late. I talked to Matt Brown. He said he had stayed up late. He works at The Athletic. He was editing stuff. So they were watching. Did you watch the Oregon State game, or did you just look at the score and go, hey, I like that's a quality win. I They need to be on my ballot. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of both. I mean, listen, I didn't watch the game, uh, the entire game, but I did do my homework and, you know, checked out, you know, what happened when you're winning on the road uh, against, you know, a pretty solid Fresno State team. I like what they're doing uh, at the quarterback position. I like the overall the defensive play. And when, you know, you score 14 points or, what, 21 points in the second half, you're doing something right on the road. Is it a perfect science? No. But I also – read and evaluate with, with people's opinions that I do respect, uh, you know, leading up to this week, John. And, and when they say, listen, man, pay attention to the Beavers. See what they got going on. Look what they're doing. Uh, you know, give them a little bit of a look early on. It gets on your radar. And then when you go back, pull up some of the West Coast feed and see what they're doing uh, in that time zone. All right. You know, they rallied. It was a good win, and I thought they were deserving of a top 25 thing. We're talking to Zach Klein. He's an AP voter. He's the sports director at WSB-TV in Atlanta. Uh, Georgia. How does Georgia feel now? They've had another game since demolishing Oregon. I know the Oregon fans didn't probably didn't expect Oregon to win that game, but I don't think they expected Oregon to get blown out of the building, and they did. Looking back at the opener, Zach, what do you think happened, and how is Georgia feeling now? Well, I think, John, it's what would happen with Kirby when he first came to Athens, what was that, you know, uh, seven years ago. And they won eight games that first year under Kirby Smart. They went eight and five. And then you start establishing the culture. You establish the identity. You establish the connection. You recruit the South. You put the borders along the Georgia uh, sidelines and the coast, and you get all these guys in-house, and then you compete with Alabama, and then you win. It's It's a crawl, walk, run process. And I think Dan Lanning will do that at Oregon. He is going to be your most successful coach. He's going to get it done. 
he's going to win and compete for championships because he's going to take that blueprint, which Kirby learned from Nick and which he learned from both those guys and, and coaching for both programs, and he's going to establish that, that culture. It's just going to take some time. Like, he just doesn't have his guys in there right now. And you saw the physicality up front. When you have Darnell Washington, who's six foot seven, 270 pounds, playing tight end for Georgia, bigger than a lot of your offensive and defensive linemen, there's just a discrepancy in talent among the two programs. And head coach Kirby Smart, John, said it after the game. He said, you know, you've talked about it. He said, Lenny will never admit it. We have better players. And there's that old cliche, the X's and O's versus the Jimmy's and the Joe's. And I texted this to Dan afterwards. I said, I don't care how well you coach. You were never going to beat them on the field talent-wise. And deep down, he knows that. But give Lanning and that coaching staff, they're going to be relentless on the coaching trail. They're going to get these elite guys in there. And I'm a big believer of what he's got cooking out in, in Oregon, man. He's, he's got it. He's got everything he wants to have a successful program. Just give him a little bit of time. He's going to turn things around. Georgia coming off the national championship, losing all those guys to the NFL. I was surprised that they looked like a Week 7 team. The offense was just humming. The defense, uh, fantastic athletes. That corner, they intercepted that first pass. I mean, uh, you know, I'm a Niners fan. I hope they take him in the first round. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. They just reload. I mean, to your point, they lost 15 guys in the NFL draft. You know, they had three linebackers going to the top 100, the number one overall pick overall in Trayvon Walker. But they've got these guys. I was, you know, talking to uh, Smile Munden today. Okay, I, Smile Munden, he, last year, when they won a national championship, he played the majority of the year on special teams. He was a five-star kid coming out of, out of high school. Five-star, one of the number one linebackers in the country, and he was on special teams last year. A, because you had all that talent in front of them, but that's what they do in 2022. They just reload with elite guys, and the depth is enormous. When you have five-star guys that were the number one rated at their position playing special teams and not sniffing the field, it shows you how good they are, and that's what Kirby's doing. The depth, John, is, is where he has the advantage, and that there's just such a discrepancy between what they're doing and what everybody else is. Um, you know, I, it, it's a joke. It's really unfair. Uh, the size, the speed, the athleticism, they're going to roll through the season. And even if they get tripped up in the SEC championship game, it's going to be just like it was a year ago, John. They'll make it uh, the Final Four uh, based on the resume and their overall talent. Stetson Bennett will be in the Heisman hunt. you got offensive linemen that are going to be in the league. you got three or four tight ends. I was talking to one NFL scout yesterday. There's more talent in Georgia's tight end room than NFL teams have as a whole. So it, it's just scary what Kirby's doing in Athens. Zach Klein, ABC affiliate, WSB Television in Atlanta. He's an AP voter as well. He's with us. Marcus Mariota, let's pivot to the Falcons. A lot of people yeah. in our region want to see him stick, have success, not just be a stopgap. Did he look like a stopgap in week one? For three quarters he did, John. He did. He was 20 of 33 overall, 215. He ran for a touchdown. Uh, he had more rushing yards, nearly double the amount of Alvin Kamara, the running back uh, for the New Orleans Saints. But he had costly errors, which lose confidence in your head coach and Arthur Smith. He was a third and five, second half. He gets the first down. But he kept on running instead of sliding. He fumbled, turned the ball over in the red zone. Can't do that. The Falcons then have the ball 30 seconds to go in the game, third and one, and he bobbles the snap. Uh, now, he was able to jump on it, but it's fourth down. The Falcons are forced to punt. They give uh, Jameis Winston another crack, and uh, they win it You know, 19 seconds to go on, on a lengthy field goal. So when you have those, those mistakes, those costly turnovers, uh, the unforced errors at the line of scrimmage, you're not uh, having any favors with your head coach and that coaching staff. 
when you have your third round pick in the uh, you know in the rookie Desmond Ritter waiting in the wing, and eventually they're going to have to see what they have in him. Uh, you know, he played tremendous for three quarters, my friend. He, he was great moving the Falcons down the field, getting the position, rolling out, rushing. Uh, he was very accurate with his passes, but at the end of the day, man, you cannot turn the ball over in the red zone, and you got to convert late in the stretch, and he just didn't do that. So he's got another tough test uh, coming up against the L.A. Rams on the road, and they go to Seattle. And listen, if you're an 0-3 team coming back home early October with the Cleveland Browns and you drop that game, now you're 0-4. There's going to be people who want to see what they have with Ritter, uh, but hopefully Marcus can turn things around and turn around and hurry. Yeah, and look, I don't think anybody's rooting against Ritter, but I think we all would like to see Marcus get a fair shake. You think it's about a three- or four-week thing before there's a serious question? I think it's how he plays, right? I mean, the Falcons aren't expected to do great things this year, but they're expected to make strides. Um, you know, people have been asking uh, you know, Arthur Smith, the head coach, how long will it take, how many games does he need to see from Desmond Ritter where you have a fair assessment. He's like, I want to give a fair assessment to Marcus. I want to see what he can do out there. I think he deserves a fair chance. And listen, he I, I was in New York when they played the Jets, that final preseason game or the most meaningful preseason game, and he was fantastic in that, threw some tight windows, very accurate with his pass. Arthur loves the fact that he's mobile. He's going to give him a shot. But if he still makes these mental mistakes, these mental errors, and you compound them with the physical errors of turning the ball over, he's going to have a, a short leash with him. But he's going to give him the benefit of the doubt and see what he can as QB1. How did the Alabama near loss go over in, you know, Bulldogs country? Uh, they don't care. I think at the end of the day they know if, if they do what they need to do, to do, John, like I said earlier, they're going to be in the SEC championship game. I mean, their schedule for the regular season for the most part is soft. They got Kentucky, they have Auburn and Tennessee they got to deal with. Other than that, it's a cakewalk. So uh, if it's the blueprint was like they had last year, get to the championship game, win or lose, you know you're playing for the Final Four. Um, I think they're fine with that. I mean, does it, it's really what it, the bottom line. They're not con- concerned about anybody else. And he mentioned uh, visiting with Kirby Smart and the guys today. And he was pretty honest. He's like, listen, there's not much tape we can really do to evaluate our last performance against Sanford because it was against Sanford, an FCS opponent. They're worried about themselves and getting better. And Kirby's not focused at all about Alabama. You know, barely sneaking one out in Austin. Zach Klein, before you go, tell our listeners one thing they don't understand about your job. What do people not know about the sports director at a TV station and what goes into your job? Um, everybody thinks that I hate their team, really what it comes down to. And I tell people I root for everybody we cover, whether it's Georgia, Georgia Tech, the Braves, the Falcons, because uh, it, it's good for business, right? I mean, if, if everybody's watching uh, ABC TV for the local coverage, uh, I think it's great for everybody here. So, um, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm blessed to be at the number one ABC affiliate in the country. I think it's fantastic that we get to go to these guys uh, and talk to them in person and develop relationships. Uh, but it's also hard when you see your friends, uh, you know, fail on a weekend, like we saw with the Braves and Kenley Jansen giving up uh, two home runs, a bullet save last night, and then, Obviously, seeing what the Falcons and Marcus did uh, yesterday, blowing 16-point lead in the fourth quarter. So you root for them, you root for good stories, uh, but at the end of the day, man, you you got to got to you got to bring it. You have to have results, and uh, it, it's tough to see good friends lose jobs. Uh, at the end of the day, they're trying their best to win, and uh, like you know, it, it's tough to report the truth sometimes. But at the end of the day, you got to give it to your audience and uh, you be honest with them. Love to have you back on later in the year. Talk more, Mariota, Zach Klein. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for what you do. Drinks on me when you get to VA, man. Much love. <laughs> there, there it is. From Atlanta, Zach Klein. You thought we were done with Atlanta. Oh, no, no. Marcus Mariota's out in Atlanta, and Zach Klein's got a ballot 
He put both Oregon and Oregon State in his top 25. You know, we, that guy ought to run for office out here. He'd, he'd get votes. Leave it here. Our big splash coming up. Washington State coach Jake Dickert, top of the hour. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Love the energy from our last guest. Half the battle is the energy on radio, and he brought it. He's got good hair. It's not good for radio, but he's got good hair. He's a TV guy. Uh, Let's unpack what he said. He's talking about Marcus Mariota, who had an underwhelming uh, opening performance for the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons were ahead 23-10 in the third quarter. It looked like they were going to put New Orleans away. Uh, Marcus Mariota fumbled the ball inside the five, ruining a potential first and goal. Um, but uh, Atlanta was still in good shape, you know, a little bit later. And Falcons' defense looked pretty good. Uh, but Mariota, I thought, very underwhelming in his performance. I think he needs a big bounce back, and it is a tall order against a Rams team that I think is going to be uh, itching to prove that it belongs. What you guys think of Mariota in the opening week? Yeah, it was such a good start, too, that he thought, well, maybe this is going to be you know, a really good situation for him. And then it kind of just collapsed, right? And, you know, the Falcons have been known to lose leads like this. But it's never good to have it, you know, when you're a guy that's trying to compete and stay in the NFL as a starting quarterback. So I thought, like, with you, a little underwhelming. Um, but I, he did show some good things. I just think that a Falcons team in general just isn't very good and isn't going to put up a lot of help for him. So it seems like a tough spot for him. Yeah, it does seem like a tough spot for him. I just, you know, I don't even know if I like his weapons that much. He has Kyle no. Pitts and... You know, Drake London, who's a rookie wide receiver, but Drake London's probably their best receiver, and he's a rookie. Cordero Patterson's a nice player, but other than that, you know, it's it's super dry in the Falcons' offense. So I, I'm not sure he's put in the best position to succeed. They should have beaten the Saints yesterday, but when I was watching that game, I kind of thought it was two underwhelming teams. I uh, looked at Pitts in this game, and I thought he would have a huge game. He didn't, but I think what, what the Falcons are going to run into, because... They are shorthanded at the receiving position. I don't love their receivers. I think the Falcons are going to run into teams saying, we're not going to let Kyle Pitts beat us. And that's that needs help. Uh, he had two catches for 19 yards, seven targets, couldn't get him the ball. Uh, they've got to get Kyle Pitts the ball. But I, I thought they ran the ball a little better than I expected them, and they played some defense. So I think, you know, you're looking at, you know, you know if Marcus Mariota can have 72 yards, 72 yards rushing every game. Um, you know, it was a little bit of mobility there, but trying to do a little too much on on one of the plays that he fumbled and can't turn the ball over in the red zone in the NFL. You're giving away points, and that cost the Atlanta Falcons as much as anything. So we'll work look to week two. This brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing you need to know, and it's a good one. The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, here in the state of Oregon, the OSAA executive board today voted to implement a shot clock in high school basketball. It'll start with the 2023-2024 school year. It is long overdue. It catches the state of Oregon up to the rest of the country. Stephen, I got to ask you. You know, you've seen some coaches go four corners, keep the ball away from you, 
Shot clock in high school basketball. How badly was this needed? Very badly. Um, I remember when I was in high school, we had a tournament down in California. And so you have to adopt their rules. And so there was the shot clock. And it was so much better. But you don't even notice it as the thing. Like, if you're a team that's actually not trying to stall and actually trying to play basketball, you never really notice the shot clock you know, unless the offense really breaks down. But I don't even remember remembering it at all. And then when I got to college, obviously there was the shot clock. And it just makes you play more open and more free. Like you need to make a move. You need to make some plays. So I really like it. I think it just is good in general for the game of basketball that they're bringing in, especially at the high school level. My understanding of this is that not all the schools were equipped to have a clock that would give them a shot clock uh, opportunity. But I also am wondering, who do you think this helps? Who does it hurt? Are there coaches in this state that play, uh, you know, under the, you know, that will be hurt by the fact that a shot clock's coming in, or is that making too much of it? No, it definitely does. Um, the lower the shot clock, the more skill you want out of your players. So in the NBA, being at 24 seconds, like they're so skilled, it's it's like that. We're in college basketball. It went from 35 to 30, and that definitely favors the more talented teams. So in high school, it's going to be the same thing. If your team is more talented. They're going to be able to make a play at the end of the shot clock where if you're a team that likes to stall and work your offense, try to get the best shot, but never going to force the, you know, force the, uh, the action, you're going to be stuck behind the shot clock in certain situations and you're going to have guys being out of position and make, you know, make, trying to make a tough play when they're not capable of doing that. So it really will help the better and more talented teams, but I think smart coaches as well should be able to get their players in the right spots. Yeah, I think coaching's coaching. Good coaches probably uh, will will uh, take advantage of it. But I think it's good. I think it catches up, uh, you know, so to speak, gets the high school basketball scene in our state out of the Stone Age and where it belongs. Uh, what other rules need to be adopted? Do we need any high school basketball, high school football? Do you, is there any massive issue when it comes to prep sports that needs to be addressed? Hmm. Yeah, that's tough. Um let me think about this real quick. Uh, you got any, John or Sean? Because I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm thinking on the spot. Yeah. You know, what What are the targeting rules in high school football these days? You know what? I, I, it's been a while since I've been to a high school football game. But, you know, for me, it, it feels it feels like, you know, things are, are certainly in place. And, you know, the big one I think about is with high school football, and this has been talked about on the show before, is, um, you know, when you have, like, the one seed, whoever the one seed is, and they play the 32 seed. And it's just, you know, I... I, they thought it uh, is are they still cutting down the the football bracket because it does feel like at the high school level when you have the best team play one of the worst teams in the state in the first round it, it's always you know not very good for the worst team yeah they uh by the way they're splitting the uh you know the state playoffs in football into two 16 team brackets for the postseason so there's going to be a division one bracket that'll be the top 16 teams uh, and then the division two bracket, will feature the remaining playoff teams that are not in the Division One bracket. Each bracket will get a trophy. I don't like that. There's only one state champion. You can't split the bracket. And this is in 6A. So, But what they're trying to do is they said too many lopsided first-round mm -hmm. games. Well, to me, then, that, that's okay. You're giving, you're, what you're doing is you're opening the field wide enough to give those teams at the bottom a chance to get into the playoffs. Like, I don't think you should make it easier. Yeah, I agree. Like, when I was in high school, I mean, it was only 4A, so that's how old I am. Uh, but there was only 16 teams. I, they're not 16, but the only four teams from each conference made the playoffs. So you had to get to the top four just to even get into the tournament. And, you know, like in three Rivers League, there was eight teams. So you had to be one of the top four teams to get in. And then even before that, the one seed in your conference got the automatic bid to the Coliseum. So I think that I – like, I always like that because – 
it pays off to win your conference. It pays to win games. I think it is. I don't like the fact, like you said, put everyone in the playoffs. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, you you got to earn it, right? You got to play well and you got to well, earn it. I, I agree with part of what they did because, again, like I said, it's not very fair when it's the one seed versus the 32 seed at the high school level. It's never going to end well, and it's you know it could be even unsafe. But, um, you know, I, I think what they're doing is putting the 17 through 32 teams in that second bracket. Uh, they're doing that because some, some teams would just never sniff the playoffs if they just cut it down to 16. Um, okay. You know, some so, schools just what don't do you, have the resources. Do you, what happens to the winner of that second bracket? You know, is there a winner, or do those teams just like... yeah? They play off. They're playing two sixteen-team brackets, two separate brackets, and you know, to your point, the you know, let's just call whoever wins that bracket, you know, the seventeenth best team in in the state. Mm-hmm. They're going to get a trophy. But what yeah, do we call? I don't them? agree with that. What, what they do should do, in my opinion, is kind of like bowls. Like for those teams that don't make the top sixteen, mm. you know, place them against a team that had a similar season and just have a one game thing for like, like that's the postseason for those teams. All right, let's monetize this and let's talk about, you know, what we could do is you could have bowls and then you have sponsors like, you know, it's not like you're getting sponsored like by like big time <laughs> energizer battery or something like that. Local like, stuff. Local stuff. Like the BFT bowl. You know? Sherwood's playing Sheldon, you know? That's the BFT Bowl. Were they doing it like your backyard? Yeah. <laughs> Sprague's, what, what? Sprague's playing Westview, you know? That's yeah, what like schools the, would be in the BFT Bowl? You know, you? Uh, to me, it has to be 17 through 32. So you're talking about Roosevelt, South Medford, Bend, Jefferson, Liberty, Mountain View, Mountainside, you know, McNary maybe, you know, Tigard. So you're talking about some teams that, you know, they just missed out on the top 16. But I, I don't like the idea that they're, they're giving team number 17 a trophy. Like, they won something. They didn't. They're in the lower bracket. They shouldn't get a trophy. Okay? It's a participation thing. Jake Dickert's coming up, the Washington State coach. I'm going to ask him how he celebrated after Washington State uh, knocked off Wisconsin. Uh, What did his phone look like when he got back to the locker room? Jake Dickert, Washington State coach, coming up next. I want you to leave it here. you got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Leave it here. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Pac 12 Conference not getting a lot of respect in the Associated Press Top 25 poll, but getting some wins nonetheless. Oregon State going to Fresno State, winning. Uh, Big weekend coming up with Michigan State traveling to Washington for a game. Uh, Washington's a small favorite in that game despite uh, not being ranked. Uh, Oregon is hosting BYU. The two late games on Saturday, as I mentioned earlier, uh, BYU-Baylor and Oregon State-Fresno State. Uh, But uh, the Pac-12 got a massive win in Big Ten country earlier in the day as Washington State pulled it off. Cam Ward on offense, Jake Dickert's defense. They went to Camp Randall Stadium in Madison, Wisconsin, and won on the road as a 17-and-a-half-point underdog in that game. They won the game outright. Here to talk about it, Jake Dickert, Washington State coach. What did your phone look like? I have to know, what did your phone look like after the game as you get in I'm assuming you go back to the locker room, you pull your cell phone out, you got to have a million messages from people saying, hey, congratulations. Well, John, I appreciate you having me on and spreading the coup love. I mean, it was a, 
it was a fun moment. There, there was quite a few, and uh, it was family, it was friends, and there was Cougs everywhere that were celebrating a good, hard-fought win by the team. The you know it, it, that is a difficult place to play, and I know that, that that points were hard to come by in the game. The adjustments you made at halftime defensively, it seemed like you you got some things going. Your offense did enough. How did you feel at halftime, and and what was the second half like for you and your team? I think the best thing about halftime was there was a belief within our team that we were right where we wanted to be and that we were going to keep swinging. And uh, we that that's what you saw. And the big momentum swing came out of the half to get a big return. You know, which led to points, which created positivity. And uh, like I said, I just thought we just kept churning. The, pos- the sideline was positive. Uh, we got a big play uh, from the offense down the sideline when we needed it. And then uh, a couple takeaways late to really seal the game and to be able to run out the clock on one of the best defenses in the country uh, was, was a special moment uh, for our offense, and it sealed the game. Your defense was very disruptive, active. I mean, you were in the backfield. You had some guys... They were making plays. Uh, some of that is scheme, but some of that is your guys as well. Uh, what was working for you guys? And, and did you expect that the defense would be the early identity this season? Well, I think the biggest thing I took away is the effort piece. And effort's a lot of things. I thought our guys played hard. That's one. But I thought there was a toughness, a fortitude uh, to strain that they played with. And they played physical. And this has been a three-year build, John, You know, on the defensive side of the ball to get to this point. Uh, to return all of our major players up front. We knew they would be really the strength of our defense. And, uh, you know, through the first couple games, that has proven to be true, and they need to continue to play at a high level uh, because we have some depth uh, there. And, you know, the Cougs won this game. It wasn't just the defense. It was offense, defense. It was special teams. And and that's what I'm proud of because our our players are buying into a team concept. The environment there, uh, I've covered games there. It's crazy. did you did you wonder prior to the game how your guys would react, or did you know they would be okay in that setting? Well, we talked about it early in camp. Uh, we had a couple of days where we worked Wisconsin, and we addressed it then. And then I think guys understand the moment. They understand the levity of a big game and, and the moment. So it wasn't something that we harped on, but they love it. They cherish it. That's why, that's why you come to Washington State. You want to play in these environments. And to go into Big Ten country and get a win – uh, was something that was special, but I, I don't think it was ever too big for our guys or it distracted them. You know, we were really focused on the task at hand, and that was what every uh, man had to do on that football field for our team to be successful. Cam Ward has been good. He had some moments. Uh, you know, it was, it, to me it was kind of a it, an interesting test, and I, I saw some grit from him. Uh, how is he adapting? Where is he right now in his progression as far as where you need him to be and where he is? I think that's the perfect word. I I thought it was a gritty performance. It wasn't perfect. He'll be the first one to admit that, and he's the first one to want to get back in here and work and to find out how he can get better. Uh, So that's what I love about a mature competitor. Uh, But there were some times, you know, that weren't uh, plays that show up in the stat sheet, but he avoids brushes, he avoids negative plays, and he throws the ball away. Uh, So those are as big as anything. And he just has great pocket presence and made some plays down the sideline. Obviously, finding Nakia late in the flat off of the scramble play uh, was a game-breaker at that point in the football game. So I'm pleased with the way Cam's playing, and we just need to continue to elevate uh, our play on offense as we continue to go throughout the season. And and we're game two uh, so far, so we're learning a lot about ourselves and and who can play at a certain level and what we got to do to get these guys in the best positions possible to be successful. I'll tell you, I wanted to pick you guys in the upset. I talked about it all summer. I was looking at that game. I go, you know, I think Washington State can go in there and win. 
And then I watched the opener against Idaho, and I went, gosh, they didn't look great. You know, it was kind of a mixed bag. What happens week one to week two every year? You're a coach. You're in it. I think the biggest thing is it's the biggest improvement that your team will ever make. Uh, because you got to realize, John, I mean, we got about uh, out of 75 travelers, really about 45 to 50 of those guys are brand-new guys to the program or young freshman kids, you know. So they're no longer rookies. You know, we've had some guys – you know, our, our starting our right guard has now played two games. You know, our backup receivers have now played. Uh, defensive guys that are rolling in, they're no longer freshmen. And you can never replicate as a coach game experience. That's where your best learns come from. So mature people look themselves hard in the mirror, and they say, this is what I need to do to get better, and they go out and do it. And I felt like that was the process that our guys are starting to believe in, and, and that's something that we'll continue to work on as we go throughout the season. You know how the NFL has the preseason? I've always wondered, you know, with college games, I know you scrimmage, but would it be worthwhile to have a crossover scrimmage to let you guys and other teams get some of that out of your system, or logistically is that a nightmare at the college level to try to do something like that? It's always been talked about, and, and they've always you know, thrown about maybe in the spring uh, you could do it instead of a spring game. I'd be really for that. Um, you know, they talked about maybe in fall camp doing crossover practices like the NFL. We would have an ideal setup between us and Idaho. Mm-hmm. It's eight miles away. We could come and do it and go. Um, but I think just like you see in the NFL, when you do that sort of stuff, it seems like fights break out and <laughs> tempers flares. So yeah. um, until then, you know, everyone just wants to get – when you get to fall camp, they're best players to game day. And that's kind of trickling down throughout all levels of football. So it's a tough blend, uh, but it is really good for young players to get out there and play. Washington State coach Jake Dickert with us there, 2-0. and um, You know, I, I expected you guys in Oregon State to maybe sneak into the top 25. I, I think the voters on the eastern part of the country are asleep right now to the Pac-12, and there's something going on there. But were you surprised you didn't get more votes? I'm be honest with you, John. I don't know if we receive votes. I don't know if we're ranked. I, I just control. We can control. <laughs> I love but it. I, I'll leave that up to you. You can talk about that type of stuff. I'm just focused on Colorado State. Yeah, it gives me something to talk about. Uh, look, you got Colorado State. Uh, what do you expect from them? You got a lot of Washington State fans who make the trip from our from our area or, or are listening via podcast in in Pullman. There. What do you expect uh, this weekend with Colorado State coming to town? I think it's an example of a new era of college football, right? The, the coach was at Nevada. He takes half of the offense to Colorado State. We have their old defensive coordinator and two of their old players. I mean, it's an interesting dynamic that you run into sometimes. But, you know, I think they have a wide receiver, uh, number 14, that can play anywhere in the country. And they got a quarterback that has now been in the second year in this system. And, uh, you know, I think they, they're, they're dangerous. And uh, I think they got a really good front four defensive, uh, defensively. So, you know, we got to make sure that we're ready uh, and our standard and preparation is ready for a good competitive football game uh, 60 minutes this Saturday here in Pullman. So uh, they have our full attention. And like I said, we flushed the tape this morning. We've learned from the Wisconsin game, and, and it's going to be a battle come Saturday here in the Palouse. Feels a lot better flushing the tape when you're coming off a W, though, doesn't it? Oh, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It looks like far from perfect, and, and you still won the game. Yeah. Uh, that, that's where their best learns come from. All right. Uh, you got conference play coming up in a couple weeks. Oregon at Washington State for that opener on the 24th. Is there a point of emphasis, something you need to get settled in this Colorado State game that will help you for conference play? Yeah, taking care of the football. You know, I think that's the biggest thing uh, that we need to make sure we're doing and sustaining drives, you know, so – those things really go hand-in-hand, hand and, and we've got to clean up some of the communication defensively 
uh, to make sure that we're not hurting ourselves. So those are all things we can control, and that's what I'm excited about. I, I think we can still make strides and get better, and uh, I think we got a football team that wants to continue to grow, and there's an understanding that last week was just a, a step in our journey. It was definitely not the destination. All so. Right. I'm excited about those things. Yeah, you started at Wisconsin Stevens Point. You went to high school in Oconto, Wisconsin. Did you have Did you have a whole bunch of old friends in the crowd? Yeah, there was about 200 uh, that ended up making the trip uh, from really all over the country. Family, friends. Uh, my former coach at UW Stevens Point came from Orlando, Florida. My high school coach was there. I mean, there's just uh, a good contingent, all wearing Cougs gear. That was uh, pretty fun to watch. We talked about this at Media Day. Uh, you know, this is now your team. You were in the interim role, kind of taken over under less than ideal circumstances. But I thought you did a great job last year. How different is it now that you've had two games? You're the guy. You know, it's from the beginning, from spring ball. It was all, you know, your vision, your ideas. How different does that feel this season? It feels very different. And it's very different on game day, too, you know, because the first couple games I've learned, like, you're – you're not calling the plays. Like you're managing the game. You're making sure there's a million different things that are going on that I can now uh, give my focus to. And I can now try to be the leader that the team needs. And I've hired a great coaching staff that are pouring into our young men each and every day. So, you know, I think you're starting to see the fruits of some labor of who we want to be as a football team. And that's the ability to win games in a lot of different ways. Okay? And, you know, a lot of people wouldn't imagine we could have beat Wisconsin 17-14. Right, and we'll need to continue to grow and get better, and and grow our program and our culture, and and hopefully, you know, trying to you know formulate building blocks that uh, build a good foundation for our football program for a long time. It's hard to win games in college football. I mean, I don't think people understand how difficult it is. You're now sitting at two and zero. I'm a big believer in celebrating life's victories, the big ones, the little ones. Kids get a report card, you celebrate it. You get a raise, you celebrate it. You, what did you do with the family to celebrate this W? Well, I, I wish they were here. They they were out there at Wisconsin, and they stayed there for a couple extra days. So uh, they're just getting back today, and uh, i got to get my kids back to school. But we, we celebrated with everybody after the game, kind of in the parking lot, and a lot of hugs and pictures and, and old memories. So uh, I just, I'm just i excited to finally uh, get home tonight and, and just kind of be with them for a little while. I appreciate you giving us some time. Good luck to you this week against Colorado State, and uh, I will probably see you in a couple weeks when Oregon visits. Thanks, Coach. Uh, sounds good, John. Go Cougs. I've said it before and I'll say it again. you got to celebrate your wins. Yeah, you. I'm talking to you listening to this radio show. Your kids get a good report card or a favorable report card. Something breaks your way. Your teenager gets a job, uh, gets into a college that they wanted to get into. Celebrate. Celebrate that stuff. Football teams are good at celebrating. You watch them, they celebrate after every play. First down, touchdown, our ball. Made field goal. They're jumping around. Everybody, they jump around and they celebrate. We always go, oh, why are they celebrating? The game's not over. I'll tell you why, because it's hard. Life is hard, too. Think about Think about it. There's something in your day or your kid's day that happened today that's worth celebrating. We, I, I didn't used to do a good job at this. I got to give Anna the credit. But, you know, we'll go for ice cream after dinner because the kids got, you know, we got a nice note from your teacher. Let's go celebrate. Like, football teams get to celebrate all the time. But Washington State, 2-0, and not in the top 25. Oregon State, not in the top 25. A little bit of East Coast bias, I think, lingering. But that was a great win for the Pac-12 Conference. Washington State beating Wisconsin outright as a 17.5-point underdog.
I want you to leave it here. You got the bald face truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. Remember to celebrate. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Anna's in the studio, and I got to ask you about something that you uh, that you tweeted out over the weekend. You tweeted out that you uh, you were happy that all the teams won in the state of Oregon. You're just happy that all the teams won. Well, PSU didn't win, but Oregon State did, and Oregon, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you tweeted it. I mean, yeah. I don't have to explain it. Like, but <laughs> what what is that about? You said it was simple, or what? It, what you. I just like I. I kind of just root for teams from Oregon in general. You know, it makes me happy when the Beavers win, when the Ducks win. And um, I just think it's good for the state. I'm like, I grew up in Portland. And I kind of grew up in an era where nobody still really knew where Portland was. So, like, I, you would travel to other places in the country and you'd be like, I'm from Portland. And they're like, well, where's that? Somewhere near Seattle? <laughs> that like, So you grow up with that. And so... As Portland, you know, became a place that people actually knew about, uh, so there's still part of that that's part of my personality. Do you think that you root for both teams because you didn't go to one of those schools? If you had gone, because what I'm getting at is, I'm not sure Duck fan is happy for Beaver fan that Beaver fan won a game and they're two and zero, and you know that that you know there's a chance like, I don't know when the last time both teams were ranked, but there's a chance here in another week that Oregon and Oregon State will both be ranked. I actually disagree with you. I see and talk to a lot of Duck fans and Beavers fans that root for, you know, the other team. They're not unhappy when the other team wins. Now, yes, it probably matters that I didn't go to either school, so I don't have that sort of diehard, you know, rivalry within me against the other team. But I do, I, I feel like I talk to my fair share of people who say, hey, you know, we're, we're, we actually like it when both teams do well because then the game formerly known as the Civil War actually becomes, you know, a game that matters and is competitive. Do we have to keep calling it the former Civil War? I don't know I what mean, to call it. Why haven't we yeah. renamed it yet? Is it, hasn't it been like six years? It's not a high-priority item I mean, <laughs> for these universities, apparently. So, like, how long ago did they officially say that's not the name and why haven't they rebranded it yet yeah because ed ray was the outgoing president at oregon state and oregon state just got their new president you know after the f king disaster now they have the new president who's on the scene now meanwhile michael schill is out at oregon so oregon doesn't have a president yeah like this thing's never gonna get settled this radio show needs to name the damn game i think you put i think you take like dutch bros and you say it's the dutch bros bowl and let Dutch Bros oh. sponsor it, do an NIL deal, whatnot, you know. Do something like that with a company that, that speaks to the entire state of Oregon. Mm. Let them sponsor it. But every, I think everybody's just going to call it the Civil War anyway. Now, this is your opportunity to make it the BFT Bowl. Yes. Let's do that. <laughs> I'm not paying for it, though. If we make it the BFT Bowl, <laughs> will you march in the marching band like Jimmy no. Kimmel did at the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl? No. Sure, we can make Sean do it. <laughs> just dispatch Sean. Anything for a free ticket. <laughs> Get me into the game. I, I just, I don't know. If we're calling it the game formerly known as the Civil War instead of the Civil War, yeah. I don't really understand how, like... It's not any better. Apologies to the people who think that it was offensive. I know. It's not any less it's, offensive. It's not any less offensive. And I also... <laughs> 
you know, I want to point out that the beauty of the Civil War was that it ended in the emancipation of slaves. You know, right, it was but- a good movement it was a good thing i understand the negative connotation of slavery i get that but i always when i think of the civil war i think about something that broke the right way yeah but isn't the argument that it's too trite to be calling it you know something that was so serious and so impactful and to to label it as such yeah well then let's stop saying (laughs) long bomb in a football game he threw a bomb it was a hail mary like, you know, those things should be reserved for war and for prayer, not a football game. Okay, I don't think that's the same. That's not Do or die. Same. That's so not the same. That's not no? the same argument at all. <laughs> no? But I do think that it is beyond time that we have renamed it because we're all calling it different things, you know. Most, I think most people are saying Civil War. I know, they are. Yeah, yeah. They or are. the game formerly known as Civil War. Right. Or for a while I said Oregon, Oregon State game. Yeah. But and, and the know. problem really goes back to the fact that they they whoever was in charge of all this just said said we're not going to call it this anymore. But then nobody decided what it was going to be called and said like instead. So that window has passed. Like there was, I think, a finite window for us all to like get on board and make the adjustment to call it something new. But that window we had about a year to make that happen. And it has long passed. <laughs> Oregon State's president came from UCLA, Jathia Murthy. She's on the job today. It's her first day on the job. Uh-huh. We should get her on the show today and be like, all right, now that you're here yeah. and you're working, top priority item, what are we calling this series? And it's not limited to football. It's a basketball game. There's a baseball game. You know, there's right. a lot of crossover here. So we can't call it the football game. You yeah. know, what's the issue here? Yeah. Let's get this going. Yeah. Let's get on it. You know, there you have it. But I like that. You know, I don't. I don't know, guys. Do you think Anna's right? Do you think most Duck fans are happy that the Beavers are playing well, and Beaver fans look over and go, you know, that was really unfortunate in Week One that Oregon didn't beat Georgia. No, I think that Beaver fans are looking over, going, yeah, let them have some of that. We had so, we had some of games like that over the years, and I think Duck fans are probably looking over at Oregon State, saying, good, good for Oregon State, but uh, you know, don't really want them around later in the year when we get around Thanksgiving and we have to play this game formerly known as the Civil War. I I mean, I'm a Duck fan. I went to Oregon, so I can say that, you know, I'm happy for Oregon State. Like, I know that it's been kind of a long rebuild here, and I know that they kind of hit rock bottom back in, you know, maybe 2016, 2017-ish with Gary Anderson. So I'm definitely happy for them, and it feels like they have their best team in, you know, maybe even a decade. Uh, It feels like they have a really good team this year. Would I have lost sleep if Fresno State ended up winning that game? No, you know. So, But that being said, I was happy to see Jack Were you rooting? Were you rooting for Oregon State? (sighs) I don't no, I, I was kind of neutral. I, I, maybe I was rooting for Oregon State a little bit, but you know, like, you know, I, I, it didn't matter to me too much. But I'm definitely not spiteful of Oregon State. I think more Duck fans root for Oregon State than Oregon State fans root for Oregon. Mm. Like everyone, yeah. the, all the makes Beaver, sense. Like the Beaver fans that I talk to, they love when Oregon loses. They think it's the funniest thing ever. Where I think Oregon fans, since they've been so far ahead of Oregon State, that they're like, hey, good for this little program to get a nice little win on the road against Fresno State. I got nothing against it. Right? Like, on my bone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I think, I think it's about like that. But I think this year also, John, that all the Pac-12 teams are kind of rooting for Pac-12 teams because of the realignment stuff. So they're mm. kind of like branching together against USC, UCLA, and they want any Pac-12 team to win any game. 
So it's, they've been galvanized by the L.A. schools bolting to the Big Ten. Yes. They've that been galvanized by the mm. media money. I'm going to play a couple clips. Here's Mike Parker, voice of the Beavers, who, by the way, happens to be a duck, talking about why the Civil War matters to Oregon State. It never fades in terms of what it means to the players. Their pride was was really hurt by their 42-point loss at Matthew Knight Arena, and they've been living and stewing on that for a long time. Losses are losses, but in the Civil War, when you lose, it sticks with you a long time. There's Mike Parker. Here's Mike Bellotti, former Duck coach. I just think that this was the most important game because this one in my mind, was more about what, where, where are you going? At the end of the season, are you are you getting better or are you going the other direction? All right. It happens he's taking a football approach. How about Jonathan Smith? I think what's unique, too, about some of the Northwest, because I've been able to experience a few of them, is like their emphasis on within the state. The state of Oregon, you're a duck or a beef, you know, in Washington or Montana. And I think that's a little bit unique compared to maybe – some of the rivalries that are about a couple of states or, or shoot, even in L.A., there's so much going on that it's not the, the mo- maybe the most important thing all the time. How about former Oregon coach Mario Cristobal? The fact that uh, Oregon State is playing really good football and they have a really good football team, I think there's so many factors and so many things. The last game for our seniors in Autzen Stadium, I mean, this is everything you would want in a college football game, especially for your last one of the regular season, I think, uh, and I feel very confident we'll be very dialed and focused in. You know, it's something struck me. Uh, you know, the progression ever since Mark Helfrich left to Willie Taggart, Mario Cristobal, now Dan Lanning at Oregon. You know, Cristobal's talking about the importance of it being the last game, a good opponent. He's not talking about 100-plus years of history because he doesn't know it, nor did Willie Taggart, nor does Dan Lanning. Is something lost in this rivalry because, you know, you don't have, like, DeAndros against, you know, uh, an Oregon coach. I'll just use an example. Like, a, an Oregon coach like Rich Brooks who has great history. Or Mike Bellotti who's got history. Uh, you know, Rich Brooks had history on both sides of the rivalry at Oregon and Oregon State. Is something lost because one of the programs in our state is reaching outside the family, so to speak, to hire their coaches? I, I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I think there's been there's been great games in this rivalry with, you know, whatever coaches happen to be coaching the teams. I think, you know, this rivalry boils down to the fan bases that never changes, the schools that never changes. And, you know, I think coaches come and go, um, especially we've seen that with, with both these schools over the past decade or so. But, um, no, I, and I, like we've talked about on the show before, I think Jonathan Smith and Dan Lanning are both here to, here to stay for, for a while. So uh, I, I don't think anything's been lost from this rivalry, and I expect a really, really good game this year based on what we're seeing right now. Um, I do actually think that there's something a little bit missing there because they don't have that context. Like, if you were to compare, let's say, in March Madness, the rivalry between Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski, between, you know, Duke and North Carolina – like that rivalry, because those two coaches were in it for so long, gunning at each other, I think that definitely added something, you know, to the layering of competition and rivalry. How about Pat Kilkenny, kid who grew up in the state of Oregon, became AD at Oregon. Here he is in the wake of a Civil War game talking about it. That was one of the happiest days of my life, Saturday night, and I maybe I'm just that shallow. It was a great night to be a duck, and you know, I don't know about you guys, I was so sick and tired of hearing about the Beavers, and you know, the Beavers are disadvantaged, and we have all this stuff, and that's nonsense. Football's a game of toughness. It isn't about what color your uniform is. We went out in the field and kicked their ass. 
Barry. I mean, tell me that doesn't. That's not a kid from the state of Oregon talking about Oregon. Here's Tony Graziani, former Oregon quarterback. Sometimes you're sitting in the locker room going, man, I don't know if we're ready, and I'm not sure. You know, I'm, I'm not liking the attitude of some of the guys right now. And other times, you know, you, you think you're ready, and you come out, and you just lay an egg. Some of it has to do with the other team. Some, of you, But most of the time, especially with the talent that they have on the team right now and the, some of the talent that we had back when I played, it, usually if we played well, we were going to win. And uh, it's just tough when they come out and hit you in the mouth, and it's just all how you respond to that. How you respond. How about Chip Kelly? Remember when Chip Kelly got in trouble? Uh, he got busted one year early in his tenure because he said it's just another game. And he got roundly criticized in his first season saying, it's not just another game. He said, we're just 1-0. It's a faceless opponent. Nope. He got ripped for that. He came back the, the, the year after, changed his tune. It's a Super Bowl. Every game's a Super Bowl for us. So I don't know how we can get bigger than that. That's why... When people say we diminish it, we're not diminishing. It's the biggest game we're ever going to play. So it's the biggest game ever. <laughs> it was correct. That was a 180. Corrected himself. He first said it's just another game. The next year, biggest game ever. It's the like, Super Bowl. He went to the other end of the spectrum <laughs> philosophically. I remember talking to him about it. He had a smile on his face. <laughs> Sam's in Portland is called in. Sam, help us out. John. If you're born in Oregon, you're either a duck or a beaver. That's just the way it is. If you're born and raised here, you're, you're from here, you're one or the other. I think the thing that's been lost, this new thing I heard like 10 years ago, well, I root for the beavers when they're not playing the ducks. Well, you know what? I'm a beaver fan. I root for the ducks to lose every game. That's just the way it is. If you're a beaver, you root against the ducks. If you're a duck, you root against the beaver. It's nothing personal. We just don't like each other. And and that's what's been lost. I think, you know, not having the history. Some of the coaches that have come in here, they're not from here. They don't understand. People that move here, hey, I'm glad you're a duck fan. But, you know, guys our age, John, remember when the Ducks and the Beavers weren't that good. And and sometimes the only game we had to look forward to or the big win of the season was that game at the end of the year when we had bragging rights in the state of Oregon to say that we were the best in the state of Oregon. So, yeah, if you're born here, you're either a Duck or a Beaver. Plain and simple. Anybody says anything else, they're just wrong, John. Sam in Portland, is he right? 503-417-7575. If you're a Duck fan, I do want to hear from you on this topic. We'll talk about the NFL. Tom Brady, is he retiring? Is this a farewell tour? What is he doing with our emotions? I want your calls, though, first on that Duck-Beaver debate. 503-417-7575. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Uh, we'll get to Tom Brady in just a minute. i got to talk about Brady. But I, I first want to take some calls on that Oregon-Oregon State front. Uh, you know, we're talking about an Oregon State team that's 2-0, and an Oregon team that's 1-0. Possibly both teams could be ranked. Certainly if Oregon knocks off BYU this week, and we got to talk about what a test that is, I think Oregon will continue to be ranked, rise in the rankings. BYU coming off a nice win over Baylor. Oregon State is uh, going to play a neutral site game in Portland against Montana State. We'll have Montana State's coach on the show later in the week, Jonathan Smith on the program later in the week, efforting Dan Landing as well. But 
are duck fans rooting for beavers? I mean, are beaver fans rooting for ducks? I want to know. 503-417-7575. Jamie's in Forest Grove. Jamie, help us with this discussion. Well, John, I used to work at a restaurant, and there were a lot of beaver fans that were customers. And then I did say, you know, I root for the beavers when they're not playing the ducks. But in real life, no. No, I want the beavers to lose almost as much as I want the huskies to lose. Wait a minute. So you would tell people you're rooting for them both because you were in a customer service setting? Exactly. With a lot of beaver fans. But really down deep, you were like, to hell with you. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Was it difficult for you to pretend to like the beavers? Not really, because, like, I'd rather they do well than, say, the Huskies. But yeah. I even wore a beaver shirt for Halloween one year. Oh, wow. You went, how did that feel to you? Um, like it was a costume. Yeah. There you go. Jamie and Forrest Grove. Sienna? <laughs> But I like that she didn't want her tips to be affected. Yeah. <laughs> so she was like, ah, trying you know, to, I'll, play, I'll play the game. Trying to be neutral. <laughs> I great. love that. But I think, I think that Steven's right that Ducks fans are probably uh, a little more generous in saying, hey, you know, well, we don't wish ill of the Beavers. But because of the Ducks and just everything about the Ducks, it's less likely that a Beavers fan is going to be like that way toward the Ducks. They're, they probably, like, a lot of Beaver fans saw what happened in Georgia and were like, oh, yeah, we know how to take a loss. Take that. I did, I did get some notes from people who said that. Like, hey, you know, we've been there. Also, we understand that. Also, I think, you know, and this may be uh, too much of a stereotype here, but I feel like more Duck fans didn't go to Oregon where a lot of the Oregon State fans went to Oregon. Oregon State, right? So mm. it's like they have that alumni appeal. There's always that joke of, you know, what do Ducks and Beavers fans have in common is that they both didn't go to Oregon. So, like, I do think that has to play with it. So you're saying that the the Oregon State fans actually went to Oregon State? Yeah, because the Ducks are more of a national brand. So they, mm -hmm. you know, if you're on the fence, they've been more successful. Like me, I didn't go to either school. Like, I would be probably more likely to like the Ducks, even though I don't. <laughs> I'd be more prone more to like likely, them, even though I don't. Even though he doesn't. I love that. <laughs> Sam's in Vancouver. Sam, what do you got? Hey, so um, I wanted to touch on on the, I, I think what Anna said, and I don't know who said it before also about the uh, Oregon fans giving a little more slack to, you know, hey, you know, yeah, good for Oregon State. But I grew up with, uh, not, you know, disliking the Beavers, of course. I'm a Ducks fan. But over the years and probably the last 20, probably since the pick, my one hatred team is Washington. And uh, where I work, you know, we have a lot of Beaver fans that come in, Duck fans and everything. And, and if we're wearing, like, the opposite stuff, you know, they'll always give me crap or I'll give them crap. And I'll always end with, hey, at least we're not Huskies. And we're <laughs> bumping fists at the end. And I think that's where it kind of – as, as a diehard Ducks fan, I was at the pick. My dad used to go to the games in the late 70s, early 80s on the Reuter buses when you couldn't even pay people to go down to the Ducks games. And, uh, you know, it, yeah, I, I, I kind of root for I, – I, I definitely root for Oregon State when they're doing good. I thought the call by Parker on uh, radio, I listened to it the other night, was awesome. It was really exciting. I was kind of smiling a little bit as a Ducks fan. So, you know, good for them and go Ducks. There you go. So what what brings the sides together? A hatred of the Huskies and also maybe the L.A. schools 
And Stephen, can we cue up the Mike Parker cut one more time? I, I just think it would be great for people to hear it. And I don't think you can get enough of like the emotion. This is this is what makes college football great. Coletto awaiting the shotgun snap. The Beavers try to win it. Coletto runs to the right. Coletto in! Touchdown, Beavers! And the Beavers defeat Fresno State! Jack Coletto, the hammer scores. The Beavers win it for the first time ever in this stadium. The Beavers win it. Do you hear in the background? What is that background okay. sound? I, I was jackhammering. Isn't that what they're doing? <laughs> no, it sounds like someone's no. slapping a window. Okay, here's the, there was glass windows. Okay. Here's what was happening. Okay, here's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. I'm first going to say what it sounds like. It sounds like there is a sight-impaired man who's trying to get out of the room. Okay. <laughs> Okay, that's what it sounds like to me, as as Mike Parker's making the call. But, but (laughs) the reality is, I was in the press box and I was looking that direction Uh because I'm in the press box. Then in the booth next to me is Scott Barnes, the athletic director at Oregon State. He he had left; he had gone down to the field, so it was Mm -hmm. empty. The next booth over was the Oregon coaches. Right. Then the next booth was Mike Parker. Oregon State coaches, right? Yeah. Right. Mike, Oregon State coaches, then Mike Parker. Okay. In his booth. Yes. So what was happening is the Oregon State coaches were slamming their hands, their palms against the glass. Oh, That's okay. what they were doing. They were excited. They were banging on the table. <laughs> they were. But play it again, Stephen, and I want the listeners to pay attention to the sound in the background. Tell me if this does not sound like somebody fe- trying to feel their way out of the room with a stick. Coletto awaiting the shotgun snap. The Beavers try to win it. Coletto runs to the right. Coletto in! Touchdown, Beavers! And the Beavers defeat Fresno State! Jack Coletto, the hammer scores. The Beavers win it for the first time ever in this stadium. The Beavers win it! (laughs) Mike Parker is fantastic. (laughs) Fantastic. Ran into him at halftime. So that sound from the Oregon State assistant coaches slapping their hands against the window, that got picked up? The, oh, I by... could hear it. I was two, oh, booths, okay. I was two booths down. Yeah. He's, in the, he's adjacent to them. So, <laughs> so funny. Yeah. How about Jack Coletto after the game, too, saying, look, when your coach believes in you like that, well, I'll let Jack Coletto say it. I mean, he believes in us, and I, you know, we, we, uh, we had the install in and the plays in to be able to score and do that stuff, so I mean, kudos to the – the uh, install and the coaches we need to get that dialed up and have that ready. It's, it's perfectly flawless. There you go. Perfect call. All of that. Let's go to Maurice, who is in Portland. Maurice, go ahead. Hey, John. Uh, I just wanted to chime in. See, I'm a, I'm a Duck fan, and I was a Duck fan before it was cool to be a Duck fan. Okay. And, you know, that's what happened over the years they we got a lot of a lot of those Fairweather fans and people that came along during the Chip Kelly era. But I've been there since Bellotti and, you know, when they were just a football program and they weren't winning a ton of games, they were just, you know, they played football. And to take it a step further, I love when Oregon State loses because Oregon State fans have always been the obnoxious ones. They always had the argument. And really, it was the fact they produced better NFL prospects to Stephen Jackson the Jaquiers brothers, or the uh, the Rogers brothers, uh, Ocho Cinco, uh, Chad Johnson, you know. But yep. they always they always had the better NFL talent that came out of their program compared to the Ducks. It's been, you know, it's kind of switched now. But back then, you know, you really, if you were a Duck fan, you really, there wasn't much you could really say about, you know, like 
the Bucks weren't that good. They really weren't that good at first. They yeah. Getting better, but I love when I love when Oregon State loses. And, and another thing too, Oregon State was always that team that would knock off USC when they were a powerhouse. Yeah. The Ducks, when those, I remember those years when the Ducks couldn't knock off USC, but the, the Beavers could for some reason. I could never understand that. I would hate it. I would hate to hear the Beavers when they beat USC those years. Yeah, appreciate that. See, I, I'm telling you guys, there's something going on here. They, I don't think these fan bases are at all happy for each other. I think I'm the only one. And Anna, you are. You say you're a neutral party. You're happy when everyone wins. I want both teams ranked when they play that Civil War football game at the end of the year. Well, that's what I'm saying is, like, why wouldn't they root for the other team to do well? Because it does make for a better rivalry game at the end. And especially right now with the Pac-12 in turmoil, yeah. you know, like it's it's good for both teams to be competitive. But what do you think about the criticism that like, hey, let's not get carried away here. It was only, you know, week two. Let's not be celebrating these wins with too much enthusiasm because let, look at the, the opponents and let's not lower our expectations for these programs. I disagree with that. I think, yes, I think you have to be reasonable. Like if you're an Oregon State fan, you're not throwing a parade right now, okay? Yeah. But you're 2-0 for the first time since 2014. You have a chance to be 3-0 and this week against Montana State. So all that stuff, I think, is really important and really big. I don't have a problem celebrating it. Likewise, Dan Lanning just won his first damn game. He, you know, uh, he beat Eastern Washington. They put a 70-burger up on Eastern Washington. That's fine. It's not a Pac-12 opponent. It's a big sky team. Let's not get carried away. But celebrated it's it's okay like it's okay that Bo Nix threw five touchdown passes and looked like he was worth a damn but yeah but like that's what people are saying is look they're just getting things done that they should get done let's not let's not give them too much credit okay but a year ago Montana State beat Washington and you had like you know there have just been some really bad moments <laughs> for this conference like you know BYU went 5-0 and against the Pac-12 uh, last season San Diego State went 2-0 and Boise State, Fresno State, those are programs that used to beat the Pac-12 teams. I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Monday Night Football coming up tonight. People excited for Monday Night Football? We'll talk about that coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Also, uh, Tom Brady will deal with that. Steve is in Oak Grove, wants to weigh in on this Oregon-Oregon State thing. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah. I'm a Beaver alum, Beaver rooter, little history framework. I, uh, I was there when Oregon State uh, clinched their win over the Ducks to go to the Rose Bowl the last time. I was there when Oregon State beat USC in the mud in 67. I was there, I think this is the last time uh, before uh, last Saturday that OSU scored in the last, on the last play of the game. Mm -hmm. They beat Washington 10-6 to in 1969. Uh, I was there when OSU beat Utah last year. Uh, Beaver Rooter, I'll root for the Ducks when they play a good team and win. Okay. But... By and large, do you find yourself as a Beaver fan rooting for the Ducks? And as a Duck fan, do you root for the Beavers? I need to know this. Doug's in Selwood. Yeah. Go ahead, Doug. 
Yeah. Hey, John, thanks for taking the call. Uh, I've been watching the bees and the ducks since the 60s, uh, much like the last caller, a lot of history there. But I always feel better when both teams are at the top. I think it's great for Oregon. I think it's great for both teams. I think it's better for recruiting. I think it's better, you know, that the whole nation sees uh, better performances all the way around. And I like it better at the end of the year in the regular season when that final game means something. And uh, I always root for the Beavs every chance I get, except for when the uh, Ducks are playing the Beavs. There you go. See, that's a reasonable person. No. I'm with him. You're with Doug. <laughs> Are you with Tom Brady or Giselle? Uh, the news that came out prior to the opening uh, week of the first Sunday of the season, uh, Tom Brady expected to retire at the end of the season. Um, took 11 days away from the Buccaneers. Apparently, uh, the reports are that it happened because of a mid-retirement promise that he made to his wife, that he would spend time together. The team understood it. Apparently, she's not too happy about him returning to football. Anna, what are we doing with this? Uh, I don't know if I'm rooting for Tom Brady or Giselle. I'm rooting for their marriage because uh, I don't really want to see them necessarily fall apart over his decision to unretire. It looks like she has voiced her support for him on Twitter this afternoon saying, you know, something along the lines of, let's go Tom Brady, let's go Bucks. So she hasn't been completely silent, um, but I, I guess the reports are that she's not going to the game. But there's part of this where I understand from a family perspective, I don't know what he promised her, I don't know what was said, but I also know she married Tom Brady, and they got married in 2009. wasn't like she knew him before he was a football player. He had been in the league for nine seasons. Does she not know she was marrying Tom Brady? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah. that guy's going to play football until yeah. he can't play anymore. Right, right. That's but part of the deal. You can surmise, though, that if they'd had the conversation and there was, like, a family agreement that he was going to retire and then changed his mind, that that decision may not have gone over so well for I think him. I should mediate that discussion. You should? I would be perfect yeah. because... Yeah. You'd be I a good neutral party. I would come in and I would say, <laughs> you know, Giselle, let's hear your side of this. And she would say, you know, he told me he was going to retire and then he spent like two weeks doing it. And then he said he changed his mind. And I realize, you know, I love him, but I'm really resentful here that he went back and played football. And I'll be like, I turn to him and I'd say, what do you do for a living? And he'd say, I'm Tom Brady. And I turn back to her and go, when you married him, what did he do for a living? Okay. Yeah. He's a football player. Uh-huh. I'm not saying... This yeah. can't be worked out because yeah. it can, and there's a there's a her side and him side to this, <laughs> but I kind of feel like we're emotionally we're caught in the middle of this emotional tug of war with his career because now I don't even feel good about him being on the field. <laughs> it ruins it. It ruins it. You know what I mean? You're like he's actively ruining his marriage out there. How do you cheer for Tom Brady <laughs> to have success or even be interested in watching a game, knowing that he's out there? basically trampling his marriage my whole thing is like i heard somebody refer to you know this season as his post-retirement season but i'm confused because now the reports are that he will retire again after this season so this is actually his pre-retirement season do you think the whole thing with him going to work for fox as a broadcaster is rooted in him trying to say to giselle hey i really am someday not going to play football i'm going to do something else 
or what you know because they made that deal remember and that yeah. deal was announced like no, when no. he's done yeah this is what he'll do right but i don't know the details of that fox deal because if he's having to travel for those games yeah, i don't know that it's any less work intensive yeah but during the week he's not a practice stuff I, I actually feel this is like star wars like they made three really good star wars movies and they started messing around with prequels and stuff <laughs> this tom brady thing is like we're getting a prequel or the postscript i don't know the five at five is next b f f t from the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Well, if you're listening in Portland on 750 The Game, you're going to get Monday Night Football coming up in uh, just a bit. But before that, we're going to give you the five biggest stories going on in sports. The five at five. Five, five. The five at five. Well, the Dallas Cowboys are in a little bit of trouble. Dak Prescott underwent a surgery on his right thumb. Sources say he'll miss six to eight weeks as he rehabs it. He's looking for a return date of October 30th against the Bears. Suffered the injury in the fourth quarter of the Cowboys' 19-3 loss to the Buccaneers. His hand hit the hand of a linebacker, Shaq Barrett of the Buccaneers after a screen pass. He went to the sideline after the game. He said, man, this uh, this isn't good. Uh, he's going to have to have a surgery. The Cowboys now have to figure out how to win without Dak Prescott. Sunday, they'll get the Cincinnati Bengals. Cooper Rush will be the starter. And a number two, go. Number two is a combination of just fans behaving badly. I feel like this is going to be a new reality show. Raiders fans get into a wild brawl at the Chargers. And in another city, Dallas Cowboys fans repeatedly punch a man in a melee during the Bucks game. What is going on with fans? Like, I know we've always had these kind of things happen here or there. But when you have the weekend, like, with this, with all these reports coming out, what is going on with fans? Yeah, I, I just th- don't get it. I think it's alcohol, and it, I mean, it brings out idiots. But alcohol has always been there. I feel like these incidents are increasing and intensifying. Texas A&M. They are doing some soul-searching. Jimbo Fisher says they're evaluating everything after a woeful performance. 17-14 loss to Appalachian State. One of the biggest upsets in Texas A&M history. You know what Texas A&M fans and students were doing before this game, the night before? Well, they were talking some trash about Appalachian State. Howdy, Army! Welcome back to Midnight Yell Practice. Boy, do I love to be back in Kyle Field the week after a season opening win. A lot of y'all, I had to Google this team to make sure that they were even real. I was really confused because Appalachia is definitely not a state. But sure enough, I found them and they're located deep, and I mean deep, in the backwoods just like you would think any hillbilly college that names themselves the Mountaineers. 
I just hope that these guys can get here tomorrow all right, because I know for a fact that half of their football team can barely even read the name on their jerseys, let alone read a map. It's a shame that the only two brain cells that all these guys have left are gonna get knocked out by our wrecking crew defense tomorrow. Let's have a fight check Saggy yell practice. Texas A&M loses the football game 17-14. They let their shoulder pads do the talking. Anna, number four, go. Well, if you're just joining us, Giselle, the supermodel, does appear to be trying to settle things down. The talk about her and Tom Brady having some issues because she has, in fact, tweeted support for him. Uh, saying, let's go Tom Brady, let's go Bucks, even though she was not in attendance in the game. So let's see where it goes. There you go. I'm so- not sure that's my best <laughs> 5 at 5 update of all time, but it's what I got. It's what you got. <laughs> it was either that That's or, the fourth or, biggest story that we got? It was either that or... Do we want to hear number 5? <laughs> it was either that. I'm glad I'm not in charge of number 5, because my other option was... Kendall Jenner making out with Devin Booker at the U.S. Open. What? <laughs> that might be a better story. What? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, Finally, the fifth thing in our five at five. The L.A. Chargers get a week one victory. Justin Herbert. Here's how it sounded. And Herbert had hit 12 in a row until there. Chased here by Abram, and downfield caught with a backpedal, touchdown! Gerald Everett, the tight end! Justin Herbert was 26 of 34 for 279, three touchdowns, no turnovers. Chargers put the ball in his hands, he marched down the field, uh, very impressive. Really nice throws, he had some big time throws down the field. A couple that don't even make sense. They defy logic. Chargers win in week one. Setting up a uh, possibility here as we watch the Broncos and the Seahawks uh, on Monday Night Football. uh, You know, setting up what should be uh, an interesting division race. That's the 5 at 5. Russell Wilson going to Seattle as a visitor tonight in Monday Night Football. You're going to hear it right here on 750 The Game. Uh, Guys, what are you thinking about Russell Wilson's return in Seattle? Well, before I answer that, John, can you address the Niners' loss yesterday? No, I don't want to talk about it. No, (laughs) Uh, they're not very good. I've been talking about this. You know, they're just, you know, they didn't look good. Uh, I don't like the offensive line. I think they were overrated. I said it all last week. They were five, six, seven on everybody's power pole. I didn't see it in the preseason. They look like they just carried over the preseason. That's that's not a good Bears team that they lost to. Yeah, no, I that that game was just a big mess. You know, the the Niners got up early, and you know the the Bears kind of got some momentum, and then that game just turned into a huge puddle. Like that field is not NFL regulated at all. Uh, weird loss, but no, I I kind of like Seattle tonight. You know, I like I like the Broncos. I, they're maybe the third best team in that division, but I think Seattle's fans are going to be going crazy tonight. And you know, Geno Smith, I think will be good enough. I I you know, I kind of like Seattle to win. Stephen, who do you like? Uh, I mean, I've gone back and forth. I think I'm more leaning towards Denver to win the game. Seattle probably plus the points, but I don't feel good about it. I I, I am interested to see Russell Wilson's 
reception he gets, I feel like it's going to be a lot of boos, which is crazy to me that you know he's going to get booed after being a Super Bowl winning quarterback um, in Seattle. Like he was so good there, and the fans just don't care. They're all on Pete Carroll's side. Like it's just it's crazy to me. Like during the game, yeah, boo him all you want, yell at him, but before the game, man, at least they give him like a little little ovation. I mean, he deserves it. I think he's going to get an ovation. I I I, I they're think, already booing him. I think no, I think. No, they're booing him. No, I think, but I'm saying is, I think the Seattle fans, I think it becomes an easy thing. He's in the other uniform. Oh, it's a betrayal. He got traded. He got traded. They were shopping him years before. I think at some point he gets, like, as he comes out for the first series, I think the Seattle fans are not booing him. They're right booing now, him as, as he's taking in, the field yeah, in, in Seattle, yeah, it's those early... Fox and ESPN are both reporting that yeah. he's getting booed by Seahawks fans as he returns to Lumen Field. All right, let's see what happens in the first series. It wasn't as if he wanted to stay in Seattle. Like, he wanted out. Yeah, but when they were shopping him, though, I don't know. I, 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 I think fans, like, if you're booing Russell Wilson after he took you to Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl, took you to a second Super Bowl, um, you know... There's no appreciation for what Russell Wilson did for the Seahawks. That was a guy as a Niner fan. I hated seeing that guy on the other side. Yeah. They're booing him. I, yeah, they're booing him. Let's it, see what they do in the first series. Maybe it's, it's just, just you know. It's insane. Like, he literally won a championship, should have won a second one, and they hate him. Like, that's the whole goal of Whit playing. Yep. He, uh, he did what he was asked to do. He got paid for it. Let's not make any mistake. But uh, I think in the end, it's, it's another example of fans. Come on. Give, give me a break. That, no, like not, if you're, not classy, huh? Stay classy, Seattle. I, I don't know. Stay classy. I watched <laughs> Ronnie Lott and Roger Craig go to the Raiders, and I said, you know what? Good for them. You know, that they went to a rival team. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's show business, not show friends. Well, we'll see. We're back tomorrow with another great show. I appreciate you being along for the ride. Grab the podcast wherever you get a podcast and leave it right here in Portland on 750 The Game for NFL football. Uh, the bald-faced truth is out. Have a good night, everybody.